Welcome to Life in Purple, providing you with the latest from women entrepreneurs, amazing mums, human interest stories and celebrity guests. Your host, Laura Sprague, discusses women's topics such as success, empowerment, perseverance, lifestyle and much more. Laura also offers a fun and unique perspective while providing listeners with valuable tips on how to successfully conquer the many issues women may face. Come experience your life in purple. And now, here's your host, the life coach with the most, Laura Sprague. Hello, Lip Talk Nation. Welcome to Life in Purple. I'm your host, Laura Sprague, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. And thank you, Lip Talk Nation, for your support and feedback so far. Many stories have come in letting us know what a difference Life in Purple is making in their lives. The more voices that join together, the louder our community becomes to make a difference. If you are tuning in for the first time, check out liptalknation.com and there you will find more resources such as my personal coaching, blog, and much, much more. We have a very inspirational guest on our show today. He is a four-time Grammy-nominated composer and musician, integrative psychologist, author, and international speaker, Dr. Mike. Michael Brandt DiMaria believes that each person is on a deeply unique journey and has developed his own approach in helping people find healing and purpose. It is through music, dancing, meditating, and writing that Dr. DiMaria helps others. He also has conquered his own childhood tragedy, proving to others that they can conquer too. Dr. DiMaria loves helping people find inner peace. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you today? I'm great, Laura. It's great to be here with you, and thank you for that very thoughtful and heartfelt introduction. Well, it truly is an honor to have you on the show. I have had the pleasure of getting to know you in person, and I believe that you have so much value to offer to Lip Talk Nation, and I can't wait to share your information with them because I know they're going to glean so much from it. But I want Lip Talk Nation to know this uh, also, Michael, that something about our interview might happen. Lip Talk Nation, I have personally met Dr. DiMaria, and the moment I shook his hand, there was this calming energy that consumed me. And those of you who know me personally might be in shock because I'm such an energetic person. So when I say he loves helping people find inner peace, well, for me, it was immediately. So thank you so much, Michael, for bringing peace to me already. Oh, thank you so much. Michael, you are definitely an expert in helping others, and I can't wait, like I said, for Lip Talk Nation to learn from you. But before we get into your story, will you share with us where you are from and how you got your start? Sure, Laura. So I was born and raised in Connecticut, and I moved to Florida in my late teens, and I ended up basically during the middle of high school when I moved, I, it kind of plunged me into kind of a deep depression. I was always a pretty introverted, shy kid, but going through that was probably the first time I ever really experienced a profound, you know, major depression. And 
And basically, I became very interested in psychology from that point on. And through a number of other experiences in college and some of my own challenges and struggles. But I also was always interested in music and art and poetry. Creativity was always part of the path of healing for me. I always say my holy trinity is nature, creativity, and spirituality. And that began weaving into my interest in becoming of help to others. Uh, my parents, of course, kind of wanted me to be, I think, a neurosurgeon or orthopedic surgeon, and I probably terribly disappointed my immigrant father because I really wanted to study music. And he said, you know, your kids can be artists or musicians. You need to be a doctor or an attorney. Make good of my sacrifices. And I was a dutiful altar boy, child of an immigrant. So I said, what kind of doctor can I be where I can kind of weave art, music, drama, poetry, play, and I started learning about psychology and the expressive arts therapies, and that basically became my passion, and I've pursued it ever since and have tried to weave my love of people and helping people with my love of the creative process in my healing work, and I've been doing that over 30 years now, and I feel so blessed to be able to do what I love and share that with others. Um, one of my teachers used to say, when your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need, you are following your soul's path. That is so beautiful, Michael. I love how vulnerable you are with us just right out in the beginning of your story when you said that you experienced depression even as a teenager. Lip Talk Nation, I really want you to evaluate yourself right now and ask yourselves if you are dealing with depression or if you have a child that's dealing with depression, I want you to observe your patterns and observe what your passion is because Michael already pointed out that even though his father wanted him to be this nurse surgeon, he followed his calling and his passion in that depression, and he found that outlet already, you know, to be creative and music. Thank you so much, Michael, for being vulnerable with us. That's what draws me to you. That's what draws me to want to help others as well, is is making sure that we're vulnerable so that we can heal. So what were some of the obstacles you faced as a child and even as a young adult that inspired you to start writing poetry and music? Oh, thank you, Laura. Another wonderful question. And that's one of the things I loved immediately about you is your your vulnerability. And so, so key. Um, there's a passage in the Bible usually translated as my strength is forged in weakness, but it really a more appropriate uh, translation would be my strength is forged in vulnerability. I can't remember if Paul or Jesus said it, but I really, really love that. And it's something I think about a lot. It It is so healing and powerful when we show up in our vulnerability. So thank you. Um, So obstacles as a child. So I had a number of surgeries as a child, and the one in particular that was most traumatic for me, I was six or seven, and it was abdominal surgery. And back then they would usually not tell the child or encourage the parents not to tell the child they were going to have surgery when the surgery was going to be because they didn't want them to stress and worry, talk about not trusting the natural vulnerability of let's talk about our feelings. So literally, my mom would pick me up from school with a suitcase and say, well, we've got to go to the hospital. You have to have a surgery, literally like the day or the day before the surgery. And this was extraordinarily traumatizing to me. And 
you know, one of the things I've done with kids and as a play therapist is actually I had a little, you know, operating room Lego set that I would help kids weeks or months to prepare for an operation. You know, we know now that was absolutely tragic and terrible. I mean, it's the worst thing you could do to a child. And, well, there's worse things, but it's <laughs> it's up there. So after this particular surgery, um, it was a near-death-like experience for me where I actually felt leaving my body and... I've never had it confirmed. It was never told to my parents whether or not something did happen to me on the table, but I had the experience of leaving my body and really not wanting to come back. And when I came back, I was in this very painful body and right at the very core in the abdominal area, had over 220 stitches inside and out, kind of right where you'd have a cesarean section. So I had... Um, a congenital double hernia issue that was fairly serious. And here I was in a children's ward with kids without limbs and kids screaming. So I kind of went from this very, and the out-of-body experience was actually quite blissful. I was like grooving on this kind of colorful musical place I was in. And I was not thrilled to be back in my body. And I was pretty angry at my parents for kind of, you know, doing what they did to me. So for the following weeks, I had felt just completely kind of disconnected in a dissociative state. I mean, I was clearly suffering from what we call post-traumatic stress and and kind of I was always a pretty deeply introverted, painfully shy and dreamy kid. And so I, I really wasn't equipped to talk about my feelings. And I was also very dutiful, so I didn't tend to, to want to rock the boat and just wanted everybody to get along. So what was I going to do with these feelings? I found myself drawn to the piano in our living room, and I had not studied the piano at that point. I, I later did. But I would find myself going into the living room and hitting one note on the piano at a time. And as I did, I would hear the note kind of just rise out of the silence. And then I would just close my eyes and just listen to that sound so slowly dissipate off into silence again. And I'd sit there and I'd do that over and over again, like hitting one note at a time. And I know now as a psychologist, looking back on it, I was doing a couple things. I was self-soothing with sound. I was meditating. And I was also putting myself into a kind of a trance. And I was actually feeling like I was connecting to that place I'd experienced during that near-death-like experience. And it, it brought me a tremendous amount of peace within, even though I wasn't feeling that great on the outside. Um, of course, you know, my brothers laughed at me and my parents thought I was autistic. Um, and years later, when I would tell that to people, it's like, oh, you're a new age musician before new age, you know, like hitting one note at a time. But it's it's a very profound, important part of my journey that at the very early part of my earliest traumas, music and sound were, were a companion or a soothing element was a way of bringing me back home to my body, to myself. And it kind of took me to this other world. And it's very, um, that's been a theme throughout my life. I mean, you know, even when I was going through grad school and working on my dissertation, getting tremendous rejection from professors on my writing, I would go to the music room and in the music therapy part of the, the college and go and just improvise on the piano for hours and I'd let my tears come and I'd express my all the feelings I had moving through me and allow them pass through me and find again that place of lightness of being in my heart that music has always brought me.
you have such a gift and even that gift as a young child and and as a teenager and a young adult you did just like your you know you it was pointed out to you that you knew how to self soothe and meditate you know after you mm-hmm. studied this and that's what i want to point out is because i believe michael that when you allow yourself to express whatever is going on inside of you even going through and having this reconstructive surgery and 220 stitches inside and out that you allowed yourself to feel and you didn't know it. And I love that because when you do that, you allow yourself to figure things out. And that's what I want Lip Talk Nation to grab a hold of this part of your story. Like you said, vulnerability is key and strength comes from that. I love how you pointed it out that that's exactly what happens. And you have allowed yourself through your journey, you know, of being vulnerable to figure things out. Lip Talk Nation, did you catch that? He self-soothed and meditate. And we're talking about, uh, Lip Talk Nation should know that meditation is also a form of willpower. So I want them to hold on to this next question because um, you're going to give them some really great tips on why we should meditate. But you have such a gift to help people in a short amount of time, Michael. I even had an aha moment when I met with you in person about why I am the way I am. Your story is very moving. You have written several meditations and again, you have four Grammy nominations. I say this because I would love for you to explain to Lip Talk Nation the importance of meditating and yeah, I want them to understand it, which is also a way to practice, like I said, willpower. So why should a person meditate, Michael, and what are the benefits of meditating? So meditation is, we know today, one of the most profound ways to quiet the mind and open the heart. And it is, I'd like to say there's two forms of meditation. And I like the, the word um, mental training. So the willpower side of meditation is we are learning to train our minds. The two major kinds of meditation. One is called concentration practice and the other one is called mindfulness practice. Concentration is when we're concentrating on one object of meditation, say the breath, what I was doing with one note at a time, which is a sound-based meditation. You can meditate exercising. Running is a powerful meditation. When you have a repetitive focus of attention that you are focusing in on as you breathe and bring yourself into the present moment. People sometimes may concentrate on a candle. This form of meditation is a form of mental training. As soon as you begin to practice meditation, you will find that the mind is like a drunken monkey. It's going every which way. And that part of what we're trying to do is lovingly and firmly bringing the mind back to the present moment. Thoughts are always taking us into the past and future, and usually that's regretting the past or being anxious about the future. So meditation is a way of beginning to drop out of this thought stream into the present moment. So it's really important, though, we're not trying to push thoughts away. So we're not, it's not willpower in the sense that you're trying to push thoughts or feelings away. This is a common misunderstanding of meditation. It's really important your listeners realize we're not trying to push thoughts out. Like if I was going to say, Laura, don't think of an orange. No matter what, don't th- oh no, don't think of an orange. You're going to think of an orange. It's kind of like the stream of consciousness. If you try to not, you know, or try to stop a river from flowing or keep a boat from flowing down a river, it, it, that kind of willpower is not the kind of willpower we're talking about. That is counterproductive. We're not trying to push thoughts away, but we're also not trying to pursue them or 
entertain them. We're allowing our thoughts to be like clouds floating by, to allow them to simply rise and pass through our awareness. So what happens in this kind of concentration, the willpower is simply noticing that you've left the present moment, you've left the breath, and gently, lovingly, firmly bring it back to the present moment. So this is a really key part of mental training. Um, so it's, it is willpower in the sense that you are bringing yourself back. I do want to also emphasize that there's another form of meditation practice called mindfulness practice, which is simply being fully present in the now. I do this when I, I do what I call my soul stroll or my sanity walk every day, where I'm allowing myself to allow my attention to move from one thing to another, but always in the present moment. I'm no, noticing the green of the trees. I'm noticing the feel of my feet on the earth. I'm noticing the sounds of the birds. When we're fully present, and that still is a form of concentration, but we're not focusing on one object, we're focusing on whatever attention's moving and shifting in our awareness, but always present, centered. So one way of understanding mindfulness meditation, mindfulness is present moment, non-judgmental awareness of simply what is. And this is another form that's a little less focused on trying to focus and concentrate, which is more mental training, a bit of more that kind of willpower. Usually as you develop your concentration, you then can practice the mindfulness more easily. But both of these things we know without a doubt today, Laura, lowers blood pressure, lowers stress, lowers heart rate, increases and kicks in the parasympathetic nervous system. This is the rest and digest aspect of our uh, nervous system. This is the break where the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight, it's the, that's the accelerator. And we live in extraordinarily stressful lives that are constantly kicking in the sympathetic nervous system, which is keeping, you know, boosts cortisol and adrenaline and keeps us racing through the day and not in the moment. So when we meditate or practice mindfulness, we are taking our foot off the accelerator and we're applying a little bit of break to our day naturally, organically, gently, lovingly, but firmly, and we're engaging the parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us to be more present, more focused, and meditation and mindfulness will improve anything you do. Just think of it. If you're cooking, if you're riding a bike, driving a car, if you're just being present in the moment, not doing anything else, not multitasking, you're going to be better at it, you're going to enjoy it more, you're going to be more relaxed, and it's going to benefit your overall health of the mind, body, heart, and soul. Michael, what an incredibly simple way of explaining meditating and why we should meditate. Lip Talk Nation, did you hear all of the points that Michael gave us, you know, about mindfulness, mindfulness practice, and how it helps us lower our stress and lower our blood pressure? But my favorite thing that you said, Michael, is that it helps us be in the moment. And that is something that I began learning um, when I had kids, you know, to make sure that I don't miss anything they do. And I love how you said that when we meditate, it also helps us practice that part. It will improve anything you do instead of multitasking. Now, how many of you Lip Talk Nation love to multitask? I totally get it. I love to multitask. But however, I've recently got into meditating, Michael, and I am aware of being able to get more things done and better. Like you said, it improves what you do oh there's so much and I hope Lip Talk Nation you are taking notes because there's so much value that Michael is giving us 
Uh, so I'm reflecting as we're going to continue on, Michael, along with composing your own meditations and helping others learn how to completely accept themselves. Could you describe your music and how it affects a person's thoughts? Love to, Laura. You know, my music is just probably the deepest gift from my heart and soul, both to myself and others. Um, my music is healing meditation music, and it's composed in a very sacred way. You know, when I'm composing my music, I'm, I you know, light some candles, I turn uh, the lights down low. I try to create a very sacred healing space. And my music is used throughout the world in spas and with acupuncturists, massage therapists, um, many different kinds of healing modalities. So the music, it all comes from that six, seven-year-old who was hitting that one note at a time. The intention behind all my music is to quiet the mind and open the heart and make a space for the spirit and soul to, to heal. So there's a, there's a way in which this music also... Music for me is such an incredibly instructive teacher because music flows like water and like our feelings. And music also reminds us that the most important aspect of each day is this moment. Um, one of my poems I write, each moment is a note in the song of today. Each moment is a note in the song of today. What happens when we begin to truly wake up to the present moment, which meditation and mindfulness practice helps us do, you begin to realize that the past and future really are persistent illusions, and it helps you enjoy each moment more fully. So imagine when you listen to a song, when you listen to music, the goal of listening to a song is not to get to the end of the song. You don't even, you're not even aware of the end. You know, kind of when you get lost in a song, Laura, where you just, you're kind of just in the flow and, and you're not anticipating the end of the song. You're fully in the flowing feel of this unfolding energy of this song. And that's why my music helps, I think, is because it helps you be in the present moment. Drop out of your thoughts particularly when it touches the heart. I've been told my music really tends to be very moving at the heart center, that although it's healing, it also creates a space for the emotions to find expression. Like you said, which is so important, is we cannot choose what we feel, only to feel what we feel and allow that feeling to flow through us. Sometimes when people come to my deep guided meditation class lying down with some of my music and they'll come up afterwards and and, you know, I may have noticed that there were tears streaming down their eyes that come up and go, I must be doing this wrong because I cried through the whole meditation. And I said, no, 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 not at all. Um, you just have been going on fast motion because you've been avoiding feeling what was there all along. We've created a very safe, sacred space for you to feel what you feel, and now you've allowed it to move through you. Feelings are just energy, um, just like music. And when we create enough space for those feelings to flow through us, naturally, healing takes place. And, and this is often what causes suffering is actually the resistance of feeling. In fact, we might even think of depression as depression, depressing, pushing down emotions that feel too much. So when we allow feelings to emerge and flow through us, and we've all had this experience where you're going through a tough time and a particular song or particular music just lets you finally touch those tears and let those emotions out, 
and on the other side of those feelings you feel so much better it's like a cleansing rain so so i hope that answered your question Absolutely, Michael. I love what you just said about um, depression as resistance to feelings. I am a firm believer in this. I figured it out along the way in the last couple of years that if you free your mind of suppression, then you free your mind for innovation. So I appreciate that you said this so much because that is what I want Lip Talk Nation to understand. I want people to heal as well. And that's why uh, I love having you on the show because you, you bring that out. Like you said, even when people listen to your music, they think they're doing it wrong when they're listening to it because they have all these tears come out of them. And it's all about the feelings our energy, just like you said, and it's just something that they're processing faster and because they didn't really let themselves process those depressed emotions. So you've, like you said, you've given me a lot to think about, but we are on the same page. Lip Talk Nation, resistance to feelings is not good. Feelings are a gift. Michael, thank you so much for that. So on your personal journey, you have experienced several of your own aha moments. We've talked about them before when we met together, but one in particular is your perspective with people who want to commit suicide. So what is it that you say to a person when they are struggling with suicidal thoughts? So important. Laura, and it's so, so important to talk about this because our culture doesn't talk about this and it's critical. Um, it's such a real, real challenge and it has been actual suicide rates have been increasing in our society, not decreasing. So obviously what we've been doing traditionally is not working. And I wanted to say also about the uh, feelings, what we resist persists what we resist persists. So it's by, by allowing ourselves to feel that. So the first thing I tell people with suicidal thoughts, and this may come as a shock, is to tell people that it's normal. And this goes against a great deal of traditional psychiatry and psychology. And I'm, I'm really against a lot of the basic paradigm that most of our traditional psychiatry and psychology is based upon is erroneous. It's based upon a wrong view of reality, based upon a Newtonian materialistic metaphysics that is just wrong, that this idea that people are somehow objects in space that should be controlled or manipulated, kind of what we've done to nature is what we've also done to our feeling language and the world of feeling inside of our own hearts. The world of feeling has, has been com almost completely ignored in Western culture, demeaned, diminished, uh, even ridiculed, um, and definitely demonized and pathologized in different centuries of the last millennium. So I'm on a mission to, to right that wrong. And the first one is to realize that, in fact, there have been many philosophers said the only true philosophical question is whether or not to kill yourself. If you're at all reflective, and particularly if you're a highly sensitive, high, uh, deep-feeling person like I am, it's, it it's almost it comes without question. Now, I, in particular, struggle with these thoughts throughout my life because having this near-death experience at such a young age... I knew there was a there was a really cool, awesome place on the other side of this, and why not go there sooner than later? It was, you know, gee, this world has a lot of suffering in it. Why do I want to put up with it? So first and foremost, it's a normal, natural thought, and and it's very important to be able to talk about it. But because people freak out as soon as somebody says, you know, I'm suicidal, you create that same resistance. So then you deny those feelings to yourself. They go underground, and they might come out... Um, subconsciously. I mean, most addiction, 
you know, cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, food, are usually silent suicidal feelings that have not been acknowledged, talked about, dealt with. So people begin all kinds of self-destructive behaviors. Um, cutting can be another form of, you know, this issue. So the first thing is that it's normal, let's talk about it. The second thing is that to really and part of it sometimes I'll be provocative in these kinds of situations, like say, well, if you could kill yourself without causing any bodily harm, please do so. That's what I mean by that is that usually what people are needing is an ego side, not a suicide. Because usually what is causing a great deal of pain is they want the pain to stop. And most of the suffering has to do with some kind of expectation they have of themselves, others, or reality that is not being met you know, um, feeling rejected by a loved one, by a parent, by a family, or perhaps self-rejection or what we call self-aversion, self-hate, you know, hating oneself. But what is that hating oneself? That would take us way beyond this interview. But basically what's happening is that this person's basic expectations or beliefs about who they are who other people are in reality is no longer working for them. That what needs to die are these expectations. These expectations and beliefs are like filters on reality. And so what happens is we're needing in much more mature spiritual traditions, many Native American traditions who have studied a great deal would call this a need for a rite of passage that basically you have to jettison these old ways of looking at yourself and, you know, for lack of a better phrase, reinvent yourself, which means taking off these blinders, letting go of who you think you are, letting go of expecting other people to follow your scripts, or letting go of thinking reality is going to follow your script, to really realize, and that's what's so beautiful about meditation, you start to see how these things are actually impeding what's really real, which is always beyond these thoughts. And that's another thing that's so powerful about meditation is that you are not your thoughts. One of my favorite mantras to teach people is, I'm not my thoughts, my thoughts are not reality. So this begins to help you. The suicidal thoughts are just thoughts. And I often will say, okay, so you want the pain to stop, you want this person to stop doing this, or you want this person to come back, but do you want the sunset in the, you know, at the end of the day to die? Do you want your joy when you look in your dog, puppies, or children's eyes to die? Do you want, you know, when you're feeling peaceful inside, or what are some of your favorite things to do? And I'll talk about all these other aspects of their life um, that aren't out of balance or that actually give them some pleasure and joy. And, of course, they'll say, no, of course not. I just want that yucky stuff to die. Say, okay, so let's create a ceremony <laughs> where we help you let go of those things, which usually have a lot to do with, you know, unrealistic beliefs and expectations of yourselves, others, and reality. And, and it really, and, and even because I kind of approach it a little bit more matter-of-factly of and even try to use some humor, immediately helps as opposed to trying to decide, oh, do I need to put you in a hospital? Um, which the more people fear um, that they can't talk about it because somebody's going to freak out, this is a huge part of the problem. So just welcoming the feelings and the thoughts. People, this is a key thing for the listeners to hear. The people who talk about suicide openly with others don't commit suicide, are less likely to commit suicide. The people who are going to be most lethal are usually the ones who don't feel they have an outlet to talk about it and are not talking about it. And that's when it becomes very, very serious and dangerous. They just are thoughts and feelings if you get to talk 
about them and talk through them. So it, it, it's a key piece of the puzzle to invite, welcome, and help that person. doesn't mean you don't want to make sure they get to somebody or they get to write out their feelings or talk out their feelings with, with somebody. Um, and let me also say, as an aside, there's a big difference between suicidal feelings, like just having the thought, even what we call passive suicidal ideation, which is, gee, you know what, if I got hit by a car or something happened or had a heart attack, you know, I'd just be fine with that. We call it passive suicidal ideation. If there, you have listeners out there who genuinely have gotten to the point of what we call intentionality or suicidal intentions, where they actually have been thinking and planning and they've got a plan or they have a date or they've actually rehearsed it in their mind, you know, this is a very serious, very much more serious situation. They should get to a professional as soon as possible. And if you have a friend talked about it, but also still try to guide them as lovingly. But most people are having suicide ideation. Let me say what's normal are the suicidal thoughts and feelings. Having a very elaborate plan in a date is a much more serious, much less common experience. Um, but I really try to normalize the feeling, the, the thought in a way that encourages the person to talk about it, get to the root of what's really going on. And that does mean, though, you want that person to evolve, let go of those thoughts and feelings, expectations as a result of changing their attitude towards themselves, others in reality. I'm happy to say through my own practices, you know, that that is not a thought that I have probably haven't had um, in almost 10 years now. However, this new book I've written comes from being in a very deep suicidal despairing place where I actually did have you know, a plan and, 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 and it was a very difficult, painful process. But it was also an extraordinary, instructive, probably the most spiritually transformative experience. Because that place of suicidal despair is often the place, the exact place of absolute total transformation and change. There's more we could say about it. There's more in, in a number of my books, but that is a really key piece. So even though it's dangerous, there's extraordinarily opportunity because you're so willing to let go of thoughts, feelings, expectations, and beliefs that are no longer serving you. Michael, I am so glad that you brought this up. Suicide is on the rise and it is normal. That's the very first thing that you said. Okay, Lip Talk Nation, some of you might be in shock because you may have, you know, the belief that you shouldn't talk about that and then we should hover over somebody who is having these thoughts and what do we do? And people go into a panic when someone does say, I've struggled with suicidal thoughts. So first of all, thank you for saying that. I want to be like you and help raise awareness on this because just like you said, it is the expectation of the person. They believe that they cannot reach. I, you know, call that perfection. People think that they should strive for this perfection when no one in fact is perfect, but giving yourself the ability to feel and the permission to feel, it goes back to that. So I, I'm right there with you. This topic actually makes me very energetic to want to help people because like you said, it's normal. They have this expectation and what they need to do is to reinvent themselves. I I love that. Lip Talk Nation, you can do that. So if you are thinking of suicide, if you have the plan, if you have anybody that you know that is thinking this and you just don't know what to do, they need to reinvent themselves, release the expectations 
that they are holding themselves to. So Michael, I'm on this journey with you and I appreciate once again your vulnerability that we're learning from because I can't wait for your next book to come out, by the way. I'm really, really excited about it because I know that's going to relate to so many people and you're going to help so many more just by that book alone. So what are some things that a friend or family member can do to help a person who is struggling with suicidal thoughts and depression? First and foremost, listen. Listen without judgment. Allow them to talk. Keep allowing them to talk. Try to get to the root. Um, in particular, ask them, gee, when did these feelings first arise? Um, and you can also, what are, what you couldn't ask, you know, um, gee, do you have, you know, a plan or is it just a, what we call passive thought, you know, I wish I were dead versus, gee, I'm planning to blah, blah, blah. Um, also, to be able to help them get to the root of, gee, what are times you're not feeling that way or what are the things that are keeping you from doing that and and also making sure, do they have anyone else to talk to? Have you talked to your parents? Have you talked to your loved ones? Um, can you tell your spouse? Um, and if they can't, ask them why they can't and encourage them to try to be more open about it. Um, of course, I still think people should have somebody they can talk to. I tend to... Um, you know, really suggest and look for, you know, somebody that they can talk to and feel safe with. It could be a therapist, it could be a yoga teacher, you could teach, you know, you could talk to a teacher teacher. And depending on who it is, they should then also be able to see if they need to get in to see somebody, a therapist. It's important to find a therapist that that person feels connected to. So, you know, nowadays you can usually review these, you know, a therapist online and see if this is somebody who kind of fits with what would help for you and what feels right for you and, and address that. There are some situations we're talking a little more about situational oppression. There can be a, a biological component, and sometimes I do practice neuronutrition, and there's a lot of there's actually a really great book I want to suggest called The Mood Cure by Julia Ross. Um, this is someone I worked quite closely with and trained in neuronutrition. This is looking at how there are some basic things, getting enough sleep, um, eating nutrition. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll just put out there, when I was also experiencing my deep suicidal depression, I was actually vegan at the time. And I've completely come 180 degrees. I've actually, you know, there's been quite a bit of anecdotal evidence of people having extreme increased depression when they're not eating animal protein. I defend people not eating animal protein on a for, you know, spiritual reasons. But unfortunately, the only way to get adequate neurotransmitters, this is the biological side, the nutritional side of serotonin, which is a key neurotransmitter in depression, and many people can become serotonin deficient because most of our diets are deficient in tryptophan, and tryptophan is an essential amino acid that you can only get plentiful supplies with animal protein. You can supplement with L-tryptophan also, which can also help. Usually, and that's why I'm an integrated psychologist, Laura, which means I'm looking at mind, body, heart, and soul. I'm looking at all four components. And so there are things that a person can do, and the mood cure talks about things that can do that are non-pharmaceutical. Um, I have some issues. I'm not anti-medication, but I'm extremely conservative. I like people to try, you know, it's amazing. Exercising 20 minutes a day into your target heart rate three times a week can boost your serotonin levels a hundred percent. So if I can get people eating well, sleeping well, exercising, being outside, we need sunshine um, to actually produce 
turn tryptophan into serotonin. So there's a lot of things people can do holistically for themselves to get help and feel better. You know, depression is more prevalent during the winter months, literally because there's less sunshine. So if you want to educate yourself, there's a lot of things. I really like the, the emergence of more holistic integrative medicine. Um, I'm, I'm a believer in everything from acupuncture to massage to, to other ways and energy healing. There's lots of things people can do for themselves. If you do go the medical route and you have somebody suggesting antidepressants, sometimes they can be helpful. There are other alternatives. If you've tried everything else and you can't find anything else, sometimes that can definitely be very helpful. And I have clients and students that I've worked with who needed some antidepressant medication when we tried everything else. So it's not that I'm anti, it's just I really want people to try everything they can that is non-addictive and non-toxic and as native to the body as possible and then move from there. And looking at also the psychological, social components as well. So we want, don't want to reduce everything to biology, but it is a component. I believe you just gave a lot of hope to people who have heard from their friends and family members who are suffering specifically with depression and suicidal thoughts. I love, Michael, how you pointed out a question that you can ask them. When are you not feeling that way? So I believe everything has an opposite. I'm firm. I'm a firm believer in nutrition, the whole thing, what you just said, and mind, body, soul, emotions, and feelings. Everything is connected and to work well. Like you said, sunlight is a very powerful thing in the healing process and so much more you know and I'm not anti-meds I am very much like you though let's try some alternative routes first to see how we can allow ourselves to heal because really I believe they're not allowing themselves to feel and then they have these symptoms that just lay on top of each other and then they have a very difficult time coming out of it so Exactly. Exactly. And I would say also, even if you go, whatever route you go in, be a full participant in your healing journey and to see it as a healing journey and trust your intuition, yourself, as well as you want the, quote, experts around you to give you input, but stay a full participant in your treatment and healing journey and see it as a healing journey and find, you know, what is true for you. Each of us is so extraordinarily different. And it's important that you feel that you're a full participant in your healing journey and to see it as a journey. I could not agree more. Thank you for saying that because that is very important. Lip Talk Nation, in your healing process, be a full participant. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you, Michael, for that. Okay, so positive affirmations are kind of huge here at Lip Talk Nation, and they've been part of my success, you know, for the way that we talk to ourselves, because we can lie to ourselves, and that's, I believe, sometimes can cause us to go into that depression and dark thoughts, and many of the listeners have also found success with positive affirmations, so for the listeners who are struggling to accept their own struggles and work through them, what would be some positive affirmations that you would recommend or use so that they could understand and how to get better immediately so they can start their journey of peace. So, yes, affirmations can be very, very powerful. And the, the only thing I wanna, I'm going to qualify it with before I answer is that um, if you ever feel that you are covering over negative thoughts that you need to kind of let go of or let out first, I'm a big believer in free-form spontaneous journaling. And so I'll tell people that if the affirmations are not working, 
So this is for you that might find they don't work. Write all the negative stuff, like just uncensored, unedited, like do a mind dump where you just kind of, you know, just put it out there. And oftentimes you're going to go, wow, gee, I didn't realize that was being that negative. And it almost is like kind of, like if you imagine turning on some water that has not been open for a while and all of a sudden a bunch of gook comes out, you know, the war's all kind of brackish and yucky. How do you get that water to clear? Well, you keep it running. You don't close it off. So just like meditation, there's a subtle difference between transcending a feeling and repressing it. So, so what I try to do is make sure if the affirmations are working for someone, great, it's not a problem. If you're one of the listeners out there where you feel, oh gosh, you know, I want to be doing those affirmations, but actually they seem to make me feel worse, there could be, you may need to let out some negativity, see it, talk it through, process it out, then release it, and then you can go into the affirmations. It's kind of like you want to, it's like making sure that you've, oh, I don't know, you're going to run the dishwasher, but there's some pots and pans that just don't get clean. And it's like, well, you got to go and you got to get to do the nitty gritty with the Brillo pad first and then put it in the dishwasher. You know, so it's kind of like sometimes you need to get into the that nitty gritty and letting it go. That having been said, I really love my tradition, both in, is more of a contemplative tradition, which is oftentimes meditating on a word and I really love just just meditating and see, literally can say the word over and over like peace. Just saying the word peace in your heart, you know, and just use that like a, a mantra is a meditation practice, which means just you're instead of concentrating on the breath or an object like a like a candle or 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 um, some kind of meditation object, music, you meditate on a word or phrase. Um, like peace, or even just saying, or love, or um, may the sacred heart of Jesus, you know, fill my heart. Um, you also can do affirmations. Uh, one that I do in my meditation practices is infinite love, infinite mercy, infinite forgiveness. Infinite love, infinite mercy, infinite forgiveness. So, you know, finding a phrase, a word that really works for you. My preference is for these more general words. And sometimes when we use the words like, I am peaceful, the, it can work for people. But as soon as I split myself into an object and I am peaceful, um, sometimes the I triggers the negative side, which is no, I can sometimes be mean and hateful. So all of a sudden you get those, the talking back and forth in the head. I'm all about trying to to reduce the amounts of thoughts and actually reduce the amount of self-talk, good or bad, begins to help deepen this practice. So most of us have somewhere between 30 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And the scary thing is 90% of them are the exact same one we had yesterday. I'm all for reprogramming and moving towards healthier self-talks. Very, very important. But I would much prefer we know like you know, high-performance athletes, actually some have been found to maybe have as many as 15 to 2,000 thoughts a day. So that's 10 times less than some, you know, uh, some other us. So what happens in meditation, I'm actually really, what I try to do during the day is try to stay out of my head and in my heart as much as possible and have as few thoughts good or bad, like the more I just feel very, my mind feels very quiet and open and my heart feels very connected, that that's where I love to be. And that's, that's kind of me. 
on the way there, because easier said than done, right? Some of our minds are going to be working a little bit faster and more intense, and that's partly just individual differences. You want to find affirmations that really are custom for you, that really work for you. Um, and that feels genuine and authentic. If somebody gives you affirmation it doesn't feel right, um, you know, maybe tweak it. Find, just like we talked about being a full participation in your treatment, find what feels right for you with an affirmation. That's why I love things like infinite love, infinite mercy, infinite compassion, because it's kind of just, you know, and, and even sometimes, you know, gratitude is a huge one for me. It's just, um, I'm, you know, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. Um, and, and so I, I hope that makes some sense, and those are some ones that may be of help. Absolutely, Michael. And I really appreciate that you first said, make sure you dump out all of those negative thoughts. Sometimes positive affirmations can cause that conflict. You have that battle back and forth and you added so much value to this. A positive affirmations aspect for Lip Talk Nation. Did you catch that? Oh, I took a lot of notes right here, Michael. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your perspective on this. You know, reduce the amount of thoughts. Stay out of your head and in your heart. So beautiful, Michael. Thank you for this. And I'm sure Lip Talk Nation appreciates you also. So who are some of your heroes that have helped you along your journey? Oh, goodness, there's so many. i just say that the top three are Jesus, you know, Yahshua was his Hebrew name, Yahshua, Jesus, and I feel a very deep personal connection to Buddha, who has been such a profound influence on my life. And then Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu's lesser known, Lao Tzu is the founder of Taoism and, and wrote the Tao Te Ching, which means the Book of the Way, which has also been, you know, kind of one of my bibles that i've lived by since i was a teenager and and those i would say are my top three um, i'm certainly influenced by carl jung my background in psychology is, is i'm very jungian oriented jung kind of gave psychology of the 20th century a complete overhaul by bringing the spiritual dimension back into the equation and he has influenced artists musicians writers throughout the rest of the century and his book Memories, Dreams, and Reflections pretty much saved my life when I was 18 going through my own extreme state of consciousness. I was very difficult. And then also Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And I'd say those two books saved my life when I was 18, Man's Search for Meaning and, and Carl Jung. So I'd say those those are my big heroes. I certainly had my, my dear meditation teacher of 30-plus years here, Dr. Bill Michaelis from the University of West Florida, is probably the my biggest hero from the, um, the living side of things and who continues to be a beloved teacher and precious friend and colleague uh, of over 30 years. What a beautiful story you have, Michael, and who your heroes are. Certainly, we can also look up to those. Lip Talk Nation, did you catch that? They have so much meaning. I'm in awe with you right now with who you chose as your heroes and the books that you recommend. And I just want to say thank you for that because Lip Talk Nation is going to be in awe with you. Thank you, thank you. So we're going to switch gears a little bit, Michael. Thank you for sharing your story and, and being vulnerable with us. 
us. So now it's time to move to the part of the show where we get to know you on a fun level. We call this our lightning round. The questions are simple and easy to answer, so just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready, Michael? I hope so. <laughs> oh, I hear something in your voice. This is going to be fun. All right, so if you could have a superpower, what would it be? That I had some pixie dust that I could melt hearts and awaken minds with just a little pinch of pixie dust. Uh, okay, so a lot of people are going to be saying that too, so I had to do that. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Pixie dust, how beautiful is that? All right, so how do you like your coffee? Dark. I love a dark Indonesian brewed coffee um, or a French roast. And, and I usually just black with some ghee butter, which is clarified butter. Man, I'm in heaven. Really? Oh, that challenged me right there to go try that. I have not done that before. Okay, so what is your most embarrassing moment? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so... When I, I mentioned moving down to Florida from Connecticut when I was in the middle of high school, and so this is really silly, but and it's actually, I wrote a screenplay about that move to kind of deal with my depression. So, you know, we're here on the Gulf Coast, and on the Gulf Coast, basically in the South in particular, you know, boys will wear these, they call them doggers, or, you know, they're basically, you know, long, it's like surfer-like bathing suits. So up in Connecticut, where I was from, we all wore Speedos, you know, in the Northeast. So here I'm in the middle of high school, and kids ask me to go to the beach, and I'm a new kid in town, and, you know, I'm awkward, and I don't have this, you know, I got this, they all think I, you know, talk like Rocky from the, the movie Rocky at the time, which had just come out, and, you know, so I was already getting teased about a lot of stuff. And so I walk out, and I'm like the only person, a thousand men out there with these Speedos on. And everybody who meant anything in the in the high school would just rolling on the beach laughing, and I won't even say the words they said because I, I don't want to say them on your. But I just walked back to my car in deep shame, and I just it was terrible. Oh my goodness! What a memory and what an embarrassing moment, yeah. and that probably changed your life forever. <laughs> yeah, it did. I, it was pretty, pretty intense. So it's in, it makes a really funny though scene in this screenplay I wrote that one day I hope to I hope to film. I'm so glad that you wrote it out and that you healed from that because that could have scarred you forever and you chose to learn from it and move on. What an awesome person you are. Yeah, that's so great. Okay, so what is your favorite sport? Oh, snow skiing. It's the closest thing I know to flying um, on the planet. But a close second is dancing. I absolutely love to dance, and in particular, free-form, spontaneous dancing. I actually guide these healing movement soul dance classes or yoga dance classes, and it's it's right up there with skiing. And because I can't ski all year round, uh, when I can you know, put on my headphones and turn on some of my favorite music and rock out. It's, it's incredible. I just, I, I'm in that same world I mentioned that the music takes me. That's so awesome. We're closely to flying as you can get, snow skiing. There you go, Lip Talk Nation. That's awesome. So what is your favorite color? Purple, of course. Ha! This is as a awesome. kid, that was, I mean, I was purple totally, and I still I've grown to really enjoy black and 
deep, dark forest green as an adult, but, for, but purple still wins out by far. Okay, Lip Talk Nation, boom. See, everyone should have purple as their favorite color. I'm just kidding. I think that's really great that that it is draws you into. All right, so thank you for sharing these fun facts about you, Michael. You really are an inspiring person, and I've recently started asking this question to my mentors and friends, and, and I will even ask myself this. So what lessons are you learning right now? Mm. Well, we probably have a little bit of um, the same in this, just because I know a little bit, you were so kind to share a bit of your story and a little bit about you stepping out into the world. You know, I'm stepping more and more out into the world, sharing things that I haven't always shared before about my my walk, my path, and so I'm I'm doing more interviews. I'm out there trying to get my message out, and that edge is how to do that authentically. You know, because there's a part of me who's kind of avoided popular culture and the media because of the very problems, because we live in an ex, you know a very kind of heartless, soulless society, and and so this this edge for me is how do I show up? How do I try to? And you know, as an author, musician, marketing, publicity are part of the, the nature of the beast. But I'm an introvert. I don't like doing it. But how do I do it? with authenticity? How do I do it with heart? How do I do it and still be true to myself and true to my path and true to my message? So it's a challenge for me because there's a part of me that would really just like to live in a little cabin up in the mountains and write my poetry and play my music and, and you know, avoid the limelight. So, so that's, that's my challenge right now. I think that you're doing a really great job at it, by the way, stepping out and being vulnerable and, and your authenticity and doing more interviews. So I, kudos to you. I'm going Thank to say you. good job it means a to that because, it really does. well, and I know how difficult it is, you know, for an introvert to do this as well. And um, so, like I said, I'm giving you a high five. I'm Thank cheering you. you on. Such great value. So I read you know, part of your book and, and my, one of my uh, best friends is wanting to read it as well. She just ordered it, in fact, yesterday, Ever Flowing On, which, by the way, is full of insight. But you speak of illusions, the unrealistic expectations. And we talked about that, you know, for people who have suicidal thoughts. So many of the listeners, I believe, are struggling with the illusion of perfection. So what advice would you give them on releasing this illusion? Oh, that's so wonderful, and I'm glad you, you keyed in on that, because I think that's a, a really key one in our culture, Laura. So perfection, first off, perfection is inhuman. We can't relate to perfection, but we are, by nature, imperfect beings. I also like to say that a physicist will tell you the universe would not have been created in perfect symmetry. The Big Bang, or what we figure or understand of what happened, was a broken symmetry or broken perfection. No event can happen in perfect symmetry. Another way of understanding that is the Native Americans talk about this world as being the house of broken light. What I love about that is that if they do anything that's too perfect, like make a flute, they will do something to, they feel it's an insult to, per, to creator, to God, to create something too perfect, that you must actually do something to remind yourself that we are humble in the face of creator and that we are living in the house of broken light, this brokenness that we are. And so, you know, this comes back to the whole thing we're talking about vulnerability. When you're trying to appear perfect, 
you've created an ideal self, which, which is part of the socialization process in our culture, which is just egocentric. And you're trying to get acceptance and approval by looking unbroken, which is impossible and keeps you disconnected. When we show up in our brokenness, imperfection, this is relatable. This is what this is what opens our hearts to connection. This is what actually provides authentic connection, genuine belonging and love. So the posturing that perfection does and the intention it's coming from is completely misguided. You didn't choose it consciously. Your culture told you this is what you're supposed to do with your family. And it actually, by hiding those flaws, is actually what disconnects you from people and leaves you isolated. So when you jettison perfection, you're opening the door to health, healing, and genuine connection. I can't even add to that, Michael. <laughs> that was so good. Lip Talk Nation. Wow. Yeah, perfection is inhuman. That's really what I want to say. Just what you said. No one can be perfect. And um, how you've given us really great tips along the way in this interview, Michael. I really appreciate it. You know, writing down those negative thoughts, really thinking about even dwelling on one word and meditating and the reasons why we should meditate and listen to, to, um, certain types of music, lowering stress and lowering blood pressure. So in, okay, thank you so much for that and for letting us get to know you on that deeper level, Michael. I know that your story and valuable tips have been an inspiration to me and Lip Talk Nation. So will you share with us where we can find out more about you and where we can purchase your music and meditations and workshops? By all means, Laura. So the central place to go on the net is www.michaeldemaria.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-D-E-M-A-R-I-A. And it's just like Maria with D in front of it, michaeldemaria.com. That is my central website, and you can find out all about, you know, I have workshop schedule, event schedule, class schedule, also links to all my music and books. And what will be coming later in the year is uh, some online programs that are developing as well. If you're local on the Gulf Coast near Pensacola, I do do a monthly meditation class, a monthly yoga class, and a monthly yoga dance class, healing movement class. And I do have um, both trainings in the Peace Within process and a new training that will be launched later in the year for Heart Warrior training, which I'm really excited about. So all that can be found. Also, you can check out my YouTube channel. I have a couple free things on my YouTube channel. YouTube.com backslash M for Michael, B for Brant, my middle name, D Maria, M B D Maria. And I've got a free 7x7 meditation challenge there where you can just watch uh, 7 minutes a day for 7 days. You make that challenge to yourself and basically I guide you through a very nice, relaxing seven-minute meditation, and it gives people a really nice first experience of that. I also have a series on YouTube called Mindful Moment with Michael, where I talk about mindfulness and different ways and different things you can do to be more mindful during your day. You can sign up for my newsletter on my website, michaeldemaria.com, and receive those mindful moments to your email every other week as well. So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, 
Pinterest, and I think that's about it from what I'm thinking right now. But michaeldemaria.com is the, the, the key place. What a true gem you are. You're such a valuable person to me and to helping people find their inner peace. What an honor, Michael, to have you on the show. This is Dr. Michael Brant DeMaria, Lip Talk Nation. Thank you for spending time with us at Life in Purple, where the broken can heal and the successful can conquer. It's been a pleasure hearing your story and letting our listeners glean value from your experience. Lip Talk Nation, if you have enjoyed today's episode or one of our previous episodes, I would love to hear from you. And if you're an iPhone user, go on over to iTunes and leave a friendly review. And for Android users, send me a quick email to laura at laurasprague.com. We appreciate you and we'll see you soon. And as always, what you say is what you become.